It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to a huge episode of reliving the war my name is nims is joined as always by my co-host and tag team partner simon tackler this is the podcast where we do exactly what it says in the title we relive the monday night wars and we're very pumped for this one simon because when it comes to things that kick off the the, the so-called monday night war era there are some tentpole events, Bash of the Beach 1996. We covered things like, you know, Starcade 97, which will come up very shortly. Um, King of the Ring 96. But I think probably the biggest thing in terms of shaping wrestling history at that point is Survivor Series 1997. Yeah, we can't understate how important this show is to all of wrestling from a storyline standpoint, characters, uh, the way things would be handled backstage moving forward to contracts. This is a real turning point. And unfortunately, it's been copied to death over the past 25 years to diminishing returns every time. So it was kind of weird going back to see where it all started and where it was real for the first time. So yeah, this is a big one. Oh, indeed. And you talk about the countless times it's been redone. It's been done in, in fact, 1998, the WWF went and redid it. 1999, WCW did it. Uh, we've had TNA do it. It's just, I, I'm, I'm, AEW won't be a company until it recreates the <laughs> Montreal Screwjob. That's what's going to happen. But uh, now you might be, we're going to welcome in our next guest. And I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. Owen only joins us for WCW shows. This is WWF names. Well, you know what? This is such a monumental pay-per-view that we've got to get Owen on board because I'm pretty sure that this will be the first time that you've seen Survivor Series 1997 in its entirety. So welcome aboard, Owen. How's things, man? Hello, friends. Yeah, thank you for having me for um, a different a different promotion. Uh, it, feels like a, it, feels like a, it feels like I've changed the channel um, <laughs> during the Monday Night Wars. Like Bischoff has given me the results and I've changed the channel to see if he's right or not. Um, to watch WWF, but no, this is this is actually very exciting to watch because, I mean, I've seen I've seen the screw job match being a massive Bret Hart mark, but I haven't seen the whole pay per view, so it was very nice to take it all in, and really like, and I, I've mentioned it in the notes, but like really see just this really weird tension that just overlays the entire show. Also, because you've been you've seen a fair few WCW pay-per-views of this era. And you often hear us in the WWF um, shows just saying, you know, 
how it is extremely different. Like the three hours that WCW put out are very different to the three hours that uh, two hours, and then later on three hours that WWE put out. So it's it's almost like oil and water the the two pre- presentations. But let's start off with the pay per view. Now we say ad nauseum that the WWF's video packages are you know streets ahead of WCW. But I don't know about you, Simon, but I thought that this video package really highlighted the rivalry between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Maybe not from day dot, but it certainly took it from when that spark first got in. Yeah, this was a really good video. I I kind of forgot about it, but the second it started and then it would come up with the black and white titles of the date and have like a snapshot sound and then go into it, this was like flooding back to me. It starts at WrestleMania 12 as the first chapter. We see both men doing these kind of half shoot interviews which were the style at the time on raw in 97 and they cut them both talking trash nobody feels like they hate each other more than bret hart and Shawn michaels it's not that they're swearing it just really feels like these guys are diametrically opposed in every way and they just will not get along Another cool thing too is now this is something that probably I don't think you would have picked up on not having watched the product at the time. But so you know how in the very opening video it's got Bret Hart after Shawn Michaels wins at WrestleMania 12. The next bit of footage you see is him going, oh, "This is this is a screw job, you know. I got screwed over." Blah 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 blah. Mm. Now that happened in '97. That piece of footage. So there's some okay. pretty pretty interesting revisionist history here even in 1997 because it really makes it seem like after wrestlemania 12 that brett was all like oh this is where i turned into a a real whiny sort of cat and hated the usa there's at least a full year where brett is normal brett but uh what did you think of this uh, little video package i honestly like hands down i think this is the best intro video i've ever seen like this was so well put together, and yeah, look as you just like mentioned, there was that revisionist history put in there with the he screwed me, I was screwed, and he like hits the headset off of Vince McMahon. But I, I was so into this, like with like the WCW like intro videos. I don't really watch them because they are pretty dull and a bit boring. This intro video was like what maybe three and a half, four minutes. It was quite long, but I was so into this. And yeah, it did catch up to speed because I don't, I haven't seen the Raws in that era because I was two and a half years old. <laughs> but um, I was just so blown away by this video production. And it absolutely poos all over WCW in terms of that. Like I was so shocked and I guess like in awe as well about how well put together this video was and how hyped it made me and how hyped it made me for it for a show where the main event, I know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I was just so excited for the entire thing. I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I mean, like I, I kind of watched it through like 1997. I was like, man, I now have to wait two, two hours, two and a half hours to see this match that they've hyped me up for. Because there was no mention for every, for any other match on the show. It was just about Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And I'm like, well, I have to sit through two and a half hours to get to this match. I was actually really psyched. And then I had to sit through two and a half hours of matches. <laughs> Let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of the pay-per-view because it starts off now. There's no Vince at the announce table. It is just JR and King. And uh, we talk about how slick the WWF production is at the time. 
a, a, a rare off night because when J.R. and King throw to the foreign announce teams, it seems like their audio just decides to, now nah, we don't want to go here. So that, that was a little bit disappointing, but uh, we get to... Also, uh, the are... floor mm. caught fire. I thought that's what you were going to talk <laughs> yes! about. I picked up so on that too. Pyro. Yeah. I, did you think it was on purpose, Owen, when it first happened? Oh, and then it just kept burning. No, I was... No, see, I... Split second, I was like, "Oh, maybe they had like a like a like a fire blanket down there." But then they cut away from Australia. I'm like, "Floor was on fire." They lit the floor on fire. So, but then also, I popped for the fact that there was Carlos Cabrera and Ray Rougeau, who still called WWF pay per views today. Yeah, it is pretty insane that part. Uh, we get to the ring announcing now. This is a, a French Canadian ring announcer whose name. It, comes up on the screen later on, which is Albert DeFusia, I believe was the name. That's the name. Uh, Who I believe has passed away. Oh, my God rest his soul then. I couldn't find, I couldn't find like much on him at all, but it did redirect me to a website. It was like wrestlerswhoavedied.com. So, I mean, I take it from a very, I'll I'll put it as a reliable source thing as the title of the website. (laughs) So... I'll scratch out all my notes about him. No, no, I have nothing bad to say about him. I thought he added a lot. I thought he gave the show a really different vibe because he would do the French I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was cool. It was so cool too. What's he saying all the time? Because it was it was really cool because it, it and it also added to that other dimension of we're in Canada now as well too like one yeah. night only was such a different sort of paper because it had the different ring announcer which was kind of cool but uh, we get to our first match which is the Headbangers and the new Blackjacks versus Badass Billy Gun Road Dog with one G and the Godwins <laughs> um, now the, if this isn't a sign of the times where the Road Dog comes out and says well first off the Headbangers and the new Blackjacks come out first. But then when Road Dog and Badass Billy Gunn, they're not yet the outlaws at this point in time, come out with the Godwins and Road Dog says the steers and queers have made their way to the ring. You sort of know what 97's like. (laughs) (laughs) Although, to be fair, this is the first time we're seeing uh, the outlaws as they would become on pay-per-view. What a world of difference a random thrown together team makes because if we saw these guys show up on a pay-per-view even just a month before it would be an absolute snooze fest not that this match was good in the ring that doesn't matter but the road dog on the mic and billy gun with that attitude they feel like completely new people now well do you remember simon so we actually the last time we saw billy gun was in the uk when he was really being made to be a chump by ken shamrock who was injured yeah. So it's a it's a big change of fortunes there for uh, badass Billy Gunn. Uh, the Godwins still still uh, somehow managed to plague us during these things. At least Billy Gunn has evolved from the smoking gun days. But uh, Owen, obviously, you've just been fired up with a great video package. The crowd is hot. You get this match. What did you think? Yeah, the Montre- the Montreal Fire Department came through and put the fire out from me unfortunately <laughs> um, but um yeah look i must say mustache bradshaw is a vibe I really, <laughs> like I, I don't know why but i was vibing the mustache on good old um on good old jbl um but no i actually i i, I this match wasn't too bad like it was look it was a four-man survivor series match with people i didn't really know nor cared about um but also, return of the Napalm Death shirt, Simon. Yes, the Headbangers. 
love th- there were certain shirts it felt like they would always rotate napalm death uh marilyn manson yep and I, i'm trying to think did they have a south park one or was that more an oddities thing it all blurs together but yeah they love the napalm death and marilyn manson but I did like how the napalm death shirt, it was actually a long sleeve shirt, but they cut like gills in it from the shoulder down to the cuff. And it actually looked kind of cool. I wouldn't do it personally to my shirts these days, but um, I didn't mind it. Um, but uh, JR said one of my favorite things that like, I think every commentator in wrestling says it like at one point in their career when um he was like Phineas zigged when he should have zagged yeah. that line of commentary always pops me and it's, it, it always makes me feel really like you know I love him that's that's cool like a little <laughs> wrestling talk um three things I found in the crowd there was a New Zealand flag hard cam side mm-hmm. yep popped up a lot throughout the show there was a there was a, a sign that said Owen, the real hitman. Oh, that's Owen good. Hart. I was like, okay, it's a little bit of family rivalry in the crowd here in Montreal. But also the the last one which popped me was good luck in WCW Brett. There was a sign <laughs> yeah. on it was like front row as well. It said good luck in This was in the era before going to WCW at, the, at that at that point in time. Like was it announced? Yeah, everyone knew. It was like if you followed the dirt sheets or had any knowledge further than what you see on TV, you knew he was going. Okay. Yeah. Although it was weird, that sign, because was it disrespectful? Like, good luck in WCW, or was it sincere? That's what I liked about it. You could take it either way. (laughs) I think it was being held by like a teenage girl, so I reckon it was probably sincere. Yeah, Yeah. and and they're in Canada. They're notoriously polite, so... so... How good was this era, though? The thing I love, before they started censoring signs and what you could bring, you just look around and you find the craziest thing. Like, that's half of the fun of these pay-per-views, seeing what you could find. There was one sign I noticed during the match, though. I would love to know what it said because it was blurred out. It said, something kicks ass. What on earth would be blurred in 97? Well, I can tell you right now. If no, Well, if we get, if we get, to, the, if we get to the next match... Uh, no, no, no. They, they've. Oh, actually, yeah, you're, you're probably right. They they will blur out because they have blurred out a WWF sign beforehand. Oh, okay, it was just maybe the, that but, simple. Just WWF kicks ass. Okay, but maybe. this is the thing, though, because in the next match, which we'll get to in a moment, there is a sign that just says Undertaker is not a homosexual, but um, <laughs> the the derogatory term for that, that one. Oh, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that match in a minute. You talk about you. I will ha- I will like call you out on one thing though, Simon. You do mention how this was a cool match to show you at the time. It is also a great advertisement on how bad the tag division is in w- in WWE in 1997. Yeah, yeah. We've it's just flaring contrast from WCW. We have discussed this. The one one part of 97 that WCW had WWE beat hands down the tag team division. WWE's tag team division wouldn't come alive again for about another year. Maybe in 98, mm. you could argue things started to get rolling again. But my God, why would you start a pay-per-view with this match? We got to talk about some of the eliminations because this was typical Survivor Series rubbish where people would get pinned with a clothesline, with a shoulder up, and you know the ref would just be like, oh, whatever, I'm just counting to three. We're wrapping this mm. up. It was a weird match. 
and that's just the nature of a Survivor Series match because, you know, we and Lord knows we don't want to see 20 minutes for each elimination with these four dudes, <laughs> yeah. uh, with these eight guys in these scenes. And you talk about, the, like, I would, I would actually go as far as saying that it's not until the Brood and the Hardys come in in 99 that the WWF Tag Division actually gets some momentum because you still have mishmash teams. You've still got, like, you know, a DX. DX Look, never it- had a tag run. It's basically the Outlaws carry 98, and that was such a big deal that it feels like tag team wrestling was Mm. something in the WWE, but it was basically them too and no one else. Yeah, along with like Kane and Mankind would be thrown together. Then you'd have like, you know, Shamrock and um, Bossman were also a team during the corporation (laughs) days. So, and I can just tell by Owen's like reaction to like, Then these are some these aren't matches he's going to be chasing down on the network. No, I definitely won't be searching through it um, anytime soon and trying to find all this kind of stuff. I think I might just uh, I think I might be a one-eyed WCW supporter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, just, a, just I've, the one note that I've put after so Billy Gunn and Road Dog are the survivors, and uh, don't get any music to wrap up. But the final note that I've put here is uh, this is a direct question to you, Simon. How much Billy Gunn have we seen doing this show? <laughs> like in the tenure of us doing Reliving the War, it seems to be way too Billy Gunn heavy. Billy Gunn had a hell of a run in 96 with the smoking guns on almost every pay-per-view. He limped through 97 as Rockabilly, but we aren't done with the gun show. Things are going <laughs> to the next level in 98, so get ready. And then you fast forward to 2021, and he's throwing and <laughs> yeah. looks really good, yeah. probably with some assistance, but also like he still works really well. Like, yeah, he wrestles like an old guy because he, he is, but like he still goes really, really hard. Mm. And and there is a reason, like he wasn't like one of the trainers down at NXT, and you can sort of tell that for a reason. But uh, let's get to the next match, which is uh, the Truth Commission versus the DOA. This match might have been called the who versus the what, because (laughs) as I mentioned, um, like there was that sign that says Undertaker is not a homosexual, uh, which was good clarification from the the crowd in... in uh in canada there but uh i was really shocked because doa got cheers and i completely forgot about the truth commission it was only when you know you saw them really trying to really strap a rocket to kurgan that you're like oh that's right they were a thing back in the day because weren't they billed as originally being from south africa yeah so originally before the jackal aka don Callis, was their manager for a short time they had a guy i think he's like he was just called like the commandant or whatever he was a hmm. South African actor that Bret Hart met while filming a TV show. Blame Bret for the Truth Commission. He thought this guy was such a good actor and character that he vouched for him and got him a job in the WWE as a manager, even though this guy had no wrestling experience. And this is where well, the, the whole gimmick sprung from. What's funny too is when they... T- so Kurgan at this point in time, who's the giant dude, is the interrogator. And the king within the first minutes of the match goes, I don't think anyone knows who the interpreter, uh, the interrogator is. And he's pretty (laughs) spot on there. Um, One other thing that was pretty cool. So a couple of things to note about this. So this is Crush's last WWF pay-per-view appearance. He would, spoiler alert, later on go to join the NWO Mm. and then be one half of Chronic. Uh, Amazing that like, 
and I can't wait till we get to the 2000s WCW because I feel like nostalgia has really given me a rose-colored glasses when it comes to chronic. Yeah, I think we all thought they were cool for about a year there. So I'm interested to see if it holds up because <laughs> DOA Crush definitely doesn't hold up, just like Nation Crush didn't hold up. Talk about a guy yeah. who's had too many gimmicks. Oh, Demolition Crush, yeah. Kona Crush. Kona Crush, <laughs> lots of crushes. Uh, he always builds from crush. Japan. Oh, yeah. Always build from Japan too, which I always find amusing. Uh, another one too, Recon is actually Bill Buchanan. Mm. He looked good in this match, I will say. He looked pretty good. Yeah, didn't look too bad. Um, and the thing that that really, I, I, and I wonder if you picked up on this, Owen. So as, as you mentioned, Simon, the Jackal is Don Callis, who's still in action to this day. But when he's on commentary, the amount of times that he, when he says the Truth Commission are military men, is, is countless. He kept saying it. What the hell was up with that? Did you also notice the fact that he quoted Coolio? Did he? I missed it. What did he say? Oh, I must have missed that one, yeah. He he quoted the first line of Gangster's Paradise. As I walk um, through the valley of the like... shadow of death. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. One. Cyrus listens to Coolio, apparently. <laughs> Look, I think that is taken um, from a but prayer, we... but it's 97. I'm pretty sure he stole it from Coolio. He hundred percent stole it from Coolio. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the next night in Raw he rocked up with like cornrows, like Coolio <laughs> does. <laughs> um, I must say though, uh, Nims, to add to your the who versus the what in terms of uh, this match, I did like the fact that Jr. just doesn't hide that he doesn't know who is who. <laughs> mm. When Jr. is uninterested, he doesn't even pretend to be. He just like whatever. But I must say though, what I found really like this is this was like the blaring thing I found like I I focused on in this entire match was the fact that JR likened Cyrus to David Koresh. Mm. A lot like, too. Four or five times he was like, he's like David Koresh. I'm like, oh, okay. So he's the cult leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is this is a rather this match's sole purpose is to make Kurgan into an absolute monster, sorry, the interrogator. Um, uh, so he is the sole survivor in the match. And all I got to say, we talked about, um, you know, the, the wacky eliminations and the, the really, how a Survivor Series match really sort of uh, changes what can lead to a pinfall. All I can say is this match is the celebration of the sidewalk slam. Like it is sidewalk slam city. Oh my God. Kurgan <laughs> clean sweeps that whole team with the sidewalk slam. It was like a kid who you're trying to be nice to and play SmackDown against. You try and explain the buttons, but he only presses left in <laughs> circle nonstop. Yeah. And he somehow yeah. beats you and you're like, God damn it. Yeah, Kurgan this, this is your... This is you playing your four-year-old cousin in WCW Revenge, and he's picked <laughs> Kevin Nash. <laughs> exactly. Although, shout out to Kurgan. He might not have been much of a wrestler, but his Hollywood career is impressive. Like, you might recognize him. He was in Sherlock Holmes. He fought Robert Downey Jr. He was in 300. And the biggest wrestling tie-in, he was in the Hercules movie with The Rock. So you can say he wrestled The Rock on the big screen. It's not too bad. There you go. Finally got that payoff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take that, Kurgan. And all of a sudden, Nathan Jones's uh, career in WWE when he takes on Brad Pitt. <laughs> now, actually, he jobs to Brad Pitt in, in Troy, doesn't he? Yep, he gets stabbed in the neck. So there you go. Kurgan <laughs> over Nathan Jones. 
Uh, we get to our next little segment here. It's a nice little Vox Pop. And surprisingly, it's a 50-50 split between the fans who uh, who they think will win the WWF title match. Um, one thing that I did find really, really cool is it's it's awesome hearing the phrase D-Generation X in a French accent. Sounded <laughs> <laughs> very fancy. There is just something very, very classy about that. I must say, I loved what... Um what King said at the end when they threw back to the live, like to the live feed from this. And he goes, I'm looking at my calendar to see if it's Halloween. Look at some of the faces of these people <laughs> that popped me more than it probably should. have. With, when, when King is on his like Rodney Dangerfield sort of S kind of jokes, I'm all for that. <laughs> like those are fine. Those age perfectly. Whereas he's, it's his other questionable stuff. That's a little bit like, mm. I think you're going a little bit low here, uh, but uh, we get to another little bit too, which is the AOL online cross. Now I'm going to turn to you Owen because you've seen the WCW wrestling.com uh, crosses they do backstage in the WCW pay-per-views. This is the WWF version. It's with AOL online. You just have to put in the keyword superstar, Kevin Kelly, ring of honors. Kel- Kevin Kelly is there and he does the cross with stone cold, Steve Austin. When you compare this to say, you know, Disco Inferno at the WCW online booth or uh, DDP. How do you think this one stuck, uh, stacks up? I'm not going to lie. Once I saw it was Kevin Kelly, I lost my mind. Um, I, feel, I, I think because Kevin Kelly to me is like, he's just New Japan pro wrestling for me. Like, I completely forgot he had a WWF run. And I was just like so popping over the fact that it was Kevin Kelly. I didn't really pay attention to this to this mm. segment, but I did. I must say, I do miss our pimply faced kid from WCW uh, slapping around <laughs> the keyboard louder than a Harley Davidson motorcycle, but um, like he did at Road Wild. But uh, no, this segment was it, it, they structured a lot different to the WCW ones. I guess they have to to try and stick out because they're but they're both trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah, I got to say, I kind of liked it because it's funny. We've looked back at some of these online segments from both promotions and we'll make fun of it like, oh, look at this guy. You know, Scott Steiner doesn't know anything about the internet or whatever. Austin is looking on so intently after his promo at the the screen and the keyboard. And it's funny to think out of a lot of the wrestlers, he's one of the funniest wrestlers on Twitter and uses his Instagram quite a bit. So I'm liking Mm. to think that Austin learned everything about social media in this segment. <laughs> he, also <AOL>. has, <laughs> he also has got some of the best, when he first started doing the Steve Austin show, he is the best live reads you'll ever get. Yeah. And and Simon and I in our in our travels would have done a hell of a lot of crappy live reads. Somehow if you get Stone Cold Steve Austin to read something about a mattress, it pops <laughs> off the page. It is so good. Uh, another, another thing too, like as we talk about Austin harnessing social media, one of the funniest things is you would have seen that meme about, you know, when your friend gets a girlfriend and settles down, it's that photo of Stone Cold Steve Austin sitting in a garden drinking yeah, a glass of red wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I love about that is Austin saw that, addressed it, and explained the full context about that, like, very seriously. Like, he's just like, oh, I was just out there with my wife. And we were just, you know, I had a good barbecue. And, and he's legitimately explaining the premise of the picture, not like, oh, it's a cool little meme. Yeah, yeah, but you never know with him. That could be him running with the joke. Like when he's done full Twitter threads about like fighting a fly that was in his room. Yeah. Austin, you never know. Weird, weird he, guy. 
but the best. He's a very, very entertaining cat there. And uh, one last little tidbit, since I'll sneak this in too. Uh, if you notice, so the little nameplate that comes up that you know says like Bret Hart or whoever it is entering to the ring, the font that is used for any font aficionados, it is the same one that is used by Hootie and the Blowfish on their cracked <laughs> rear view album. <laughs> What a great album! There's, what an amazing album! So there's oh, your fun little. There's a fun little fact for you there, as we quickly move to uh, the the little backstory between Steve Blackman. Like his debut, when you think about it, is absolutely amazing. And I'll be honest with you, Simon, I completely forgot about it. Like how he entered, you know, the WWF canon. I thought, yeah, to me, I, I just picture Steve Blackman. He came in as like martial artists, you know, the lethal weapon. He was billed as a fan who jumped the rail to try and save Team America from the Canadians. And then he was such a badass that Vader was like, I want this guy on my Survivor Series team. That is an amazing origin story. It's just problematic because we watched Halloween Havoc where Sting <laughs> Dude jumped into the main event and no one offered that guy a contract. So it sets a weird standard for fans during the Monday night war. I must say though, me being me and being quite pretendic, I actually looked in this. I, I, look, I'm, I, I know Steve Blackman has seen some stuff. I'm a fan of it because he did work Japan for a while too. Um, I just wanted to see the, the career of Steve Blackman. He actually debuted for Stampede in 1986. Um, and then he actually did work a few WWF house shows in 1988 and 89. Um, and was actually on an episode of Superstars, like one or two episodes of Superstars. Um, but uh, and he was being considered to be signed full time. But then he wrestled in South Africa and contracted dysentery and malaria. Wow. He was bedridden for two years and then spent four years after that recovering. So that puts it through to about 1997. And that's when this storyline kicks off. Oh my God. So the lost years of Steve Blackman, he could have debuted years <laughs> earlier if it wasn't for He could have debuted in, 19, in 1991. Wow. That is an oh. amazing bit of research actually i like to think that he would have debuted in 1991 attacking sergeant slaughter for betraying uh because <laughs> because that's his big thing he, he protects the wrestlers that protect america so yeah. that's his calling card and he's just been sitting on ice until <laughs> like hey we've got a story for you steve quick what are you doing come to the arena just to add or, to or mate... sorry names you go Oh, no, no. Just, to, just to add to um, his origin story too, Simon, uh, the, note, the, the bit that you forgot to mention in that entire thing is so after he, you know, the fan jumps the guardrail and attacks Team Canada and then gets restrained, he gets arrested. Vader is the one that bails him, according to storyline, and then says, I want him in the team. <laughs> Nice. That's so good. We need that. I wish they filmed that as a vignette because imagine Vader rocking up to like the police station and he's like, oh, you bailed me, but you barely even know me, Vader. And Vader's like, <laughs> but I know you love America. And they leave the jail together. It's so good. I do want to say though, actually. And then he, just... give, and then he gives Steve Blackman a little, like a tiny little Vader mask. <laughs> and <laughs> the one weird thing though, just thinking about this, this is the same way that Ernest Miller debuted in WCW as well. He was a karate guy. He was a fan and he jumped in to save Glacier. Lucky this didn't start a trend where martial arts dudes were in the crowd and they were like, oh, 
I can just run in and I'll probably get signed and start kicking people. That would have been bad. Yeah, you have like a former Taekwondo Daniel... champion deciding to just jump the guardrail yeah, to, it's to help out the Patriot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> then Daniel LaRusso comes in and then so does uh, Johnny and it's just the Karate Kid all over again. <laughs> I'd be all for it. <laughs> So let's get to this match. It's Team USA versus Team Canada. Now, Team USA comes out to the Patriot theme, aka Kurt Angle's theme, despite the fact that the Patriot is nowhere to be seen. And we forgot to mention this. Mark Merrow. Mark Merrow is back. Coincidentally, after his theme was used all across Halloween Havoc 1997. So it must have signaled his return to the promised land. Yeah, this is the first time we're seeing Mark Merrow as marvelous Mark Merrow as well, mm. doing the boxer gimmick. He's cut the hair for the first time in his career. Look, let's be honest. I know there's a lot of criticism of Mark Merrow and he's kind of a punching bag for whatever reason. He looks good. He can talk. He wrestles pretty well. Like, the presentation's good. It just Got a good finisher? Awesome. Awesome finisher. It just, for whatever reason, never all clicks for him. Obviously, he's overshadowed by Sable. But either way, bit of a shame when you look back. Let's let's not forget too. We also have the return of Phil Lafon and Doug Furness. They're back after. Is it Survivor Series '96? Was the last time we saw them? It feels like that's all they did. But yeah, they're back. Um, just before we move like fully into the match, I know you guys mentioned it on the show a couple episodes ago. Um, but that Team America music with the uh, the Kurt Angle music, it just feels really weird not seeing Kurt Angle walk out to it. Yeah, no Kurt Angle, no you suck chance. It's weird, but it is such a great song. There's a reason why they've gone back to it so many times. It's awesome. Mm. Hearing the, the best way to put that pop culture, like uh, the, the, my way of like um, sort of explaining it to anyone that doesn't quite get just how iconic it is as Kurt Angle's theme, even though it's not originally his. It's just like Torn by Natalie Imbruglia is a cover. Mm. But no one knows that, like, you know, like that's yeah. that's that's how I like to sort of think of you know, Kurt Angle's theme here. But uh, the, the fun thing about Team Canada as well, there is only one Canadian There's on one Team Canada. Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> and they use Brett's theme for Team Canada, which means, uh, you know, if if we're doing national anthems in WWF land, Patriot theme slash Kurt Angle theme is America. Uh Canada's theme is Bret Hart's and I assume England would be British Bulldog and whatever other country is. Oh, Tiger Ali Sings would be the <laughs> India theme. <laughs> I got to say though, using the Bret Hart music was a good idea because Team Canada gets a huge pop here from Montreal. They lose it. They are absolutely well behind Team Canada here despite the fact there's only one Canadian and uh, that Canadian is, uh, I think it's Doug Furness, or is it Phil LaFon that's the Canadian? I think Furness. Furness He's from yeah. Oklahoma, actually, because JR goes on about that quite a bit. Oh, that doesn't sound like JR. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, some of the crowd is absolutely hot for Team Canada here. And all I can say is if the last match was a celebration of the sidewalk slam, well, this is the celebration of the countout. Yeah, look, okay, regardless of the eliminations, this match was at least a step up. This was okay. Yeah. It wasn't great, but there was some good stuff depending on the combination. At one point, Bulldog slams Vader off the top rope like Ric Flair style and then just hits a suplex. It's very mm. impressive. Bulldog was the star of this match, I thought. Yeah. 
Bulldog definitely was yeah. the star of the match, but also at the same time, Vader is Vader's got a new sort of um a new lick of paint here. He's like, I don't know how much of his WWF run you would have seen Owen, but this is the Vader of old. We're seeing him like motivated. He's actually doing some pretty cool power moves here. And he's not being treated like the loser he was after that main that horrible main event with uh not horrible, I shouldn't say. It was a good main event with uh, Sean Michaels, but it sort of killed him dead in the water. Uh, back in 1996. But uh, what did you think of this match, Owen? Because it was definitely a step up from the last two Survivor Series matches we saw. Well, yeah, maybe the kick in the head um, gave him a bit of uh, a bit of confidence from uh, thanks to thanks to Mister Michaels. Because yeah, they, uh, Vader was really working out of his boots in this one. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy to think like because what Bulldog left with Brett, didn't he? Or yep. not long after. Yeah, he, no, le- he leaves with him. with him. But then he comes so does, back so Nightheart. Yeah. Nightheart leaves as well. Owen's the only one left. Yeah, okay. And like it's really crazy, isn't it? Like like a lot of people, especially myself, like you you see um you think of British Bulldog and you, you you the first thing you see in your head is like the long the, the long braids. Mm-hmm. But then you see him with short hair and he's still kicking ass. And like, he looks, he looks like he's getting on. I say he's getting on, but he was probably what? He was probably nearly 40 at this stage. Mm. Cause he was about the same, same age as Brett. Yeah. But like, yeah, Bulldog was just on fire in this match. Like every time he was in the ring, I was really excited to see what he was going to do. Um, yeah, look, I, I, all, all I've got is like all in all, quite a good match. I, it was it was quite enjoyable, a lot better compared to the last two Survivor Series matches in on the pay per view. But I actually quite enjoyed this match. It was it was a little bit more exciting and a little bit obviously there was more story behind it with the whole Canada versus USA thing. But yeah, I actually quite enjoyed this one. I thought it was pretty pretty cool. Even though it's not the greatest advertisement for a Survivor Series match, I think the fact that you've got um, the added backstory of team usa versus team canada gives it a bit more con uh gives a bit more context and a bit more fuel to sort of get through it not only that too how good simon is jr chastising gold dust when he walks out oh yeah we've got to talk about gold dust because that's the other thing that makes this match good the work's good the crowd's into it because of team canada and there's a story running through where Goldust refuses to tag because Goldust is now in his emo phase of being forever unchained. F you. He had just left Marlena in the story. So now he was all depressed and he doesn't want to tag and he hates everything. And JR, you're right, is just getting stuck into Goldust calling him not a real man because he doesn't want to pay child support and whatever. And he's yeah. abandoned his wife. And yeah, it's pretty great. It was good. It's one of my favorite little highlights of this match too. And going back to what Owen says about the bulldog, you forget that like that there is actually quite a good run. Um, people said if, if we're talking forgetted, forgotten eras of uh, the British bulldog, him and WCW, at least his second run, because he was pretty big in 93 WCW. Like he was still in main events and things like that. And he still had the dreads too, but um, like him going to WCW with Brett really, really, put a nail in the coffin of his career basically because when he came back to wwe in 1999 it was a nostalgia act kind of uh it was just like oh it's the bulldog we love the bulldog remember the bulldog that was just like oh yeah it's the bulldog <laughs> yeah by that point he had the back injury from wcw and it was never the same but 
Yeah, it is kind of forgotten, though, how great his run is from, like, late 94 when he comes back to 97. He is mm. one of the most solid guys on every pay-per-view. I think every show we've reviewed over the past two years, Bulldog, if he's in a match, it's usually good. Yeah. Yeah, him and Owen it's pretty much are the tag team division in this uh, little run here. But uh, speaking of the Bulldog, he is the sole survivor. And uh, like Owen said, this is probably the best of the Survivor Series matches that we've had so far. We then get to a little segment, a live read for Milton Bradley's Karate Fighters. And Jacqueline Cook has won a Survivor Series Super Supper sweepstake. Which <laughs> oh, you I did it. Was... Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll tell you, I know a thing or two about reading a couple of live reads. I can tell you that. But, <laughs> but um, this is like another one of those disastrous WWF uh, home viewer things. It's much better than the one that we saw at SummerSlam, though, wouldn't you say, Simon? Yeah, this wasn't too bad. i got to say, this Jacqueline Cook lady sounded so excited to win. And then, so the premise of this competition, you win a supper with a wrestler. And I, this could not be legit. You just get to pick any wrestler on the roster and they have to have dinner for you. She aims high. She says Stone Cold Steve Austin. I was trying to Google it to see if it ever happened. But yeah, I don't know if she ever had dinner with Stone Cold, but how weird. How cool. What are we? Maybe advised? she was waiting. Maybe she was waiting for so long for the dinner with Stone Cold. Her dinner was Stone Cold. Aha. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> or, or her request is to have dinner with not with Stone Cold Steve Austin, but with the $6 million man Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they send the wrong Steve Austin. <laughs> so you just said you wanted dinner with Steve Austin. You didn't specify. <laughs> they should but, have uh, cut I, the camera backstage to let Austin know that she picked him. I would have loved to see that. <laughs> and he's in catering. He's like, I haven't done now. Yeah. I, I like to picture though that Austin did go ahead with it, but he did the thing that all wrestlers do and they're there in their ring gear. Yes. So like, they're, they're at like, you know, uh, they're at some fancy New York restaurant and he's there. He's like, you're going to eat all that? What? You know? <laughs> Denim shorts and an Austin 316 shirt. <laughs> Uh, we then get to our next match, and I really want to talk to you about this one, Owen, because um, this is this is kind of cool because it's a great package of Kane absolutely running a rampant. And 1997 Kane is just something, just it's something. It's the most perfect debut of a character I got to say. Mm. And it, it, backstory between this, this is so this is Kane versus Mankind. Now at this point in time. Mick Foley is Dude Love, but Dude Love has to turn into Mankind specifically to take on Kane. Now, this little montage, because obviously yeah. I went, like you weren't there during the Attitude Era, but before it became a punchline to, and your opponent is Kane, that was actually like a legitimate threat. Like this is how he was portrayed when he first got here before it became like a Teddy Long one-on-one with the Undertaker player. Yeah, um, I'm... <laughs> I must say, um, my first note of the of this little segment is um, even this Kane video is better than hype reels for WCW pay per views. <laughs> but like, cause this hype reel was awesome. Like, mm. this got me. It filled me in on storyline because I haven't been because I because li- I listen to these pay- the pay per views. I listen to the episodes that you guys do, but I don't watch them like I do with the WCW ones. Mm. So it filled me in with storyline, filled me in with pay per view, and then like. It was, it just got me so excited. And then seeing the turn, I guess, like the quote unquote turn of um, 
people do love into mankind was really really cool but the whole uh, the whole hype video reel was was absolutely fantastic um but i did forget about blonde head paul bearer and i did pop for that <laughs> yeah um, who, who of course in storyline doesn't have black hair anymore because the undertaker burnt him so his skin color and his hair color changed which is just insane <laughs> but um i think the thing i i don't know because this whole match was absolutely awesome I forgot how jacked Kane is. Like mm-hmm. what 97, he's an absolute monster of a human. But the red lights during his match, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Did it last long? Like, did it, it last, last for a while? It did last for a while. I can't think when it stopped. Definitely stopped by the time he has his first match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. That one's in normal lighting. Yeah, I'm trying so to think was Mania is that his first year? Yeah. Yeah, so, so Mania 14 yeah. is when they did the first match together because the whole thing is uh, Undertaker refuses to fight his brother. So at this point in time, that's November. Is it April? That yeah. Um, yeah, so it's at least five months away. What restraint take. they showed, though. So Kane debuts in October. They don't have a match till April, till WrestleMania. They legit build it up for that long. Paid that's off. Long, that's... that's, that's, that's that's long that's long-term booking baby i love yeah. that that's awesome. yeah one of the best single stories they've ever done i think and what's a cool little callback as well um at wrestlemania 20 uh kane and undertaker fight again uh and that's where undertaker goes from american badass to return as the dead man which is very very cool as well mm. and then of course you know they just run it into the ground completely and they're having <laughs> awful matches in saudi arabia uh in 2020 so look, your mileage may vary <laughs> yeah but let's talk about um, this match because it is very very good and like so you mentioned good. like you mentioned owen like the, the lighting jr i gotta say jr and kane not jr and kane sorry jr and king <laughs> Jeez, imagine kane on commentary because this would be voice box kane at yeah. this era <laughs> but um get those puppies out <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but but one thing is like jr and king you forget why people call them like you know the a a commentators back in the day because this this shows why they are they're telling a story that's really cool jr drops the line hellfire and brimstone that would then obviously be used as the the catch for um, the catchphrase uh forever and ever jr um jerry lawler doing things like questioning why is why would we have this red light what's going on here yeah. All of this sort of stuff is just so, like they're reacting as if they would. This is a real sport, which is so cool. Mm. Yep. They, yeah. They um, they sold it really well. They 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 made it feel like like they didn't know what was going on, and they 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 really played up the whole storyline of it all. And that's what made me even more invested, I think, as well. Um, in this whole match and this whole thing, um. But also, like Kane looked like a million bucks in this whole match. Like there was, a, there was, it was a really simple. Like I actually wrote it down. The sequence was so simple, but the way he executed it looked incredible. He whipped Foley into the turnbuckle, and he did it with so much ferocity that Foley fed back into him, and he just fed straight into a sidewalk slam. And that was the whole. That that was the whole. Um, the whole sequence of moves because it looked, it was so, it was done with so much ferocity and so much power. It looked amazing and it was sold incredibly well too. Yeah. This was a great match and such a great way to get Kane over in his first pay-per-view match because Undertaker did that for mankind. So when mankind first came in, 
it was like, oh my God, this guy can go toe-to-toe with The Undertaker and beat him. So now this makes you think, if Kane can do this to mankind, what can he do to The Undertaker? So a great continuation of the story between the three of them, which would continue. These three guys sort of just continuously become bigger stars because of each other. And this was brutal too. For the time in 97, they do a few moves, like they space it out really well, but everything that was meant to have impact looks like it hurts a lot. Like when Kane Mm. throws stares at Mick Foley, he just throws him straight at at his head. And then when he whips Foley into the steps later on, that looks like it hurts. Everything looked super painful. This was good. Oh, even Kane getting that chair shot to the head and no selling it. Oh, yeah. It just, and, and then the offense that, so Mick Foley like fights back. Like Mick Foley actually comes out looking pretty good in this too. The fact that he's able oh, yeah. to sort of put a bit of damage on the monster here. The, the other bit that I popped at is JR is very specific on the organ damage on Kane, uh, which is like, it's like, get him right in the kidneys. Oh, that got him in his slower plexus and stuff like that. It's just so cool. But one other thing that I, I do, I do want to mention because it's something that is very much overlooked and probably forgotten is Kane's tombstone. Ooh, Kane's version of the tombstone looks just violent. It just absolutely looks violent, but yet it's probably one of the safest people on the planet doing it. You're right. Uh, you mentioned it last time. You're right. Him and The Undertaker do it differently. Undertaker drops to his knees sort of as a smooth motion. Kane lets his like knees just give out like a trapdoor. It's like mm. that ride at Wet and Wild where the floor just disappears under you. <laughs> That's what Kane's tombstone is like. And it's really yeah. cool. It looks br- it looks more brutal too because it does look like he's almost like it 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 borders on did he just botch that and just like no no he's safe his yeah. houses there because it does look like he almost falls into him like mm. Taker has the pomp and circumstance and he does the you know the the arms across the chest whereas Kane sort of spreads the arms out and pins them like that like a crucifix yeah like a crucifix I, I thought that was a nice touch too they do the pin the opposite to each other so good yeah um. I must say though, um, like Nims, you said that you know, like everything that Kane did was done with such purpose, um, including killing Tito Santana. <laughs> so that, that move, Tito cops man. Mankind is on the apron. Kane gets him from the inside. He throws mankind <laughs> backwards into the Spanish announce table, through the table, and basically through poor Tito Santana. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tito died. Yeah, mm. and this is this is what I uh, got to show. That's why I want to bring it up because before Eric Bischoff used to put him in every single second match, like, oh, and you got to face Kane, and and that was the punchline of like, oh, on SmackDown, it's like you got to face Kane. Kane's your opponent. It's Kane. There's Kane. That Daniel Bryan's first opponent is Kane. <laughs> after like, there's so many times like where Kane becomes a parody of himself, but the reason is because he was such a devastating guy back in 97 and 98 to the point where one of the, I remember there's a Reddit thread where someone's putting a list of um, their grievances of WWE 2K20. And the first grievance is no 98 Kane, (laughs) (laughs) which which always gets a pop out of me. I'll tell you what, Kane has been in virtually every video game ever since he debuted. He's a great character. And this is where it all kicks off for him. I got to say, I was 10 at the time and Kane scared the shit out of me for, for real. Oh, 
Hell yeah. And this is funny too, because like he, I'm not, I'd like to know when he gets the nickname, the big red machine, because in 2002, when he swaps over to a more predominantly black outfit, they still call him the big red machine. <laughs> the big some red machine. <laughs> uh, let's, let's get to our next little uh, segment, which is Vince McMahon backstage with Sergeant Slaughter. Now, I'll turn to you, someone, on this one. This is a very different Vince McMahon, isn't it? Yeah, we are getting Vince turning into Mr. McMahon. For all of 96 and 97, he was just the hype man on commentary, welcoming everyone to whichever pay-per-view. Here, though, we got like, yeah, kind of like smooth-talking corporate Vince. And very interestingly, he's asked, who's going to win? And he says, I don't know who's (laughs) going to win with a smirk on his face. It's all very inside. (laughs) And if you want to read into conspiracies, it's just weird that they would put this on the show. Mm. don't kayfabe me vince you know who wins but also <laughs> why why would you put this on the show if I, you were gonna I, screw I the, the guy same thing yeah weird it's, it's such like a weird such a weird transition wink, isn't wink it yeah um well let's get to our next match which is the nation of domination versus lod shamrock and ahmed johnson uh, i the first note that i've put is hawk rambling again what the hell is he on about? I don't know. He was telling another fairy tale on this one. I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> um, can I just say, um, between the pre the, the the pre match promo and the entrances, did Armin Johnson have a shower? Because he was a wet, <laughs> wet man when he walked to the ring. I've actually written down here, uh, Armin Johnson is so wet, wet, he's beating like a freshly washed car. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he's paid for the premium wax he looked amazing oh, yeah oh, he, he was glistening there was like berries just falling down but it was like he just like had a shower between leaving the promo area and walking down the ramp hmm. he's like i've yeah, got time to shower i'll fit this in <laughs> yeah. it's like someone just banged on the door like dude dude we're going out it's like ah oh, damn it oh, damn my truck don't worry about the towel let's just run out here Ahmed, you put your elbow pads on your legs. (laughs) He's he's legitimately beating, though. He looks like a freshly washed car. Like, uh, It's um, all I can think of the entire match. One cool thing about this is at least they all get their separate entrances, Mm. which really highlights who's the main eventers and which ones are the jobbers in the Survivor Series (laughs) hierarchy, doesn't it? Well, I kind of like that, though, because this shows that the Survivor Series matches were building from sort of like prelim to the main event. This felt like a main event Survivor Series match. And it did feel big. I got a, This was my favorite of the night out of the um, Survivor Series matches. There was star power. Mm. We had The Rock coming into his own. Delo's really good in it because we've mm-hmm. got, you know, that good version of the... Um, of the nation finally coming together. Godfather's pretty good. And again, I can't believe I'm saying this as we rewatch it. Farouk was 100% the weakest link of the nation, especially <laughs> as the, the new version came in. Yeah. When, when it's crush in there, along with PG 13 rapping on the way out, Farouk is doing the heavy lifting right now. He's just a passenger. Yeah. He's an, absolute passenger here and the the, uh, interesting too they still don't have a name for the rock bottom yet just the slam by rocky movia there's nothing to it (laughs) you know i do want to mention just quickly on the entrances our mate the um french canadian ring announcer 
the fact that he did the LOD entrance the same way that Finkel did popped me yeah. so much and he did it in Canadian because he said, Road Warrior Animal, Road Warrior Hawk, the Legion of Doom. But in French, I thought that was a nice touch. He stuck the to the Legion of Doom! He sounded so cool. Yeah. Um, the t- two, two things I want to I wanna, I wanna, um, put to you guys. Um, <laughs> one thing was J- JR was, went full Texan when he was talking about the, um, the nation. When he said their political views aside, their views are their own. Mm-hmm. JR being a Texan. Um, but more seriously, and also educating two and a half year old Owen Jones. How close are we? How close are we to full rock? Still a while away. I, I really, I reckon you could. You're gonna get the closer version in about a month. He takes a huge step, but by WrestleMania okay. 14 is when you're going to say, okay, this is the one. Because at WrestleMania 14, he even adds to the vocabulary if you smell what the rock is cooking. So mm. that's where it really clicks. But we are in the, the first chapter of the rock, I think. Okay. Yeah. So we're still a while away. He, Go on. Sorry, there was, um, he was, because he was still getting, he was still getting the Rocky sucks chance though. But now they're leaning into it because he's a heel on purpose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what what they don't um like with revisionist WWE history, they sort of they the way that it um the narrative is sort of crafted today is that he came out as Rocky Maivere, he was a blue chipper, everyone rejected him because that's not who he was, and Rocky sucks chance started immediately. There was months of rock irrelevance. He was just out there and no one cared two bits of him. Then they started Rocky Sucks and they just ignored it. It was just like, no, 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 no. You know, he can with you. And then it took months before they actually said, no, no, put him in the nation. Let's just go into this because there's no salvaging him. And you almost think that, like, if this was today, WWE, he'd probably be future in debit. Because they would have just stuck with Rocky Movie and be like, no, we're pretty sure you're going to like this. Mm. I've got to mm. say, it's weird watching it back. Two injuries change his career. He gets injured. And that was an excuse for him to go away and then come back and join the nation. But at the same time, would he have joined the nation if Ahmed didn't get injured when he joined the nation? Because yeah. Ahmed's in the nation for about a month. He gets injured. So they sub in the rock. If that didn't happen, what would have happened for either guy? Weird. There are so many sliding doors moments in 1997. And like I sort of said to you, like, and in fact, we'll t- I'll save it for at the, at the end of this podcast. But um, another cool thing is there is a really weird noise during an animal shoulder block, <laughs> yeah. which I'm sure you all picked up on. And the best part is JR and King reacting to it. <laughs> so differently though, because JR went storyline and then King just talks shit on a crew member. You're not not only a crew member, the crew member. I couldn't believe yeah. they would say it on on air, but Jerry Lawler said he's like, "Oh, that's our crack audio guy, um, Kevin Dunn." Kevin Dunn. Like, yeah. Damn, you usually don't hear anything about Kevin Dunn on air. Yeah. Whereas JR's just like does the ultimate. Oh, was that Kane leaving the building yeah. and then yeah. straight in there with like, so "No, it's good. Kevin Dunn screwing up." Yeah. <laughs> um, um, another another one too. Oh, sorry, on you gone. No, I was. I mean. Closer towards the end of the match, again, I kind of know D'Lo Brown from a Nims being the biggest D'Lo Mark I've met in my entire life. Underrated. But also just like seeing, oh, he is. Seeing like snippets here and there. 
that springboard moonsault he does, even though he did like like even though he crashes and burns, was absolutely buck wild. Like he went full crazy with that. But also it's taken me so long to realize that D'Lo Brown is just a chunky turk from Scrubs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a chunky Donald Faison, and I'm so okay with it. But I was expecting him to just be like, you know, hey Carla, and just like do a whole like Turk thing. Talking about me being the biggest uh, D'Lo Brown fan, I'm still to this day really, really bitter and dirty that um, low down Chaz and D'Lo never got a good run uh, <laughs> in like 2000 WWE. But um, uh, another thing that we got to mention. So we talk about how The Rock is really sort of he's in the he's in the preheating the oven sort of stage of before he's fully cooked. Um, <laughs> Ken Shamrock, Ken Shamrock is also getting he's figuring it out and. Like, let's not forget what he was like at WrestleMania 13. WrestleMania 13, he's a referee. And then he's really stilted and awkward when it comes to promos. But he's figuring it out, wouldn't you say, Simon? Yeah, and I think for Shamrock, his strength is definitely in the ring, especially when he gets amped up. And we're starting to see more and more of that. And I think the crowd's getting behind him. I've got to say, if we're talking about both these men's career, this is The Rock's first great feud. Um, I was thinking about it watching this match. I thought, damn. This is really the first big one because they're going to wrestle on the three big pay-per-views of 98, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, and King of the Ring. So I think, you know, and, and again, The Rock inducted Ken Shamrock into the TNA Hall of Fame for a reason. Their careers yeah. were intertwined in the early days, and I think both men come off better for it. They had a great final sequence in this match when it comes down to the two of them as well. And the King of the Ring match, it's a King of the Ring final uh, between The Rock and um, between The Rock and Ken Shamrock. And it is one of the best matches you will see, especially because 98 WWE, uh, sorry, WWF isn't known for its wrestling. It's actually really, really good. Um, so, and of course, name dropping TNA there. There is a, yeah, 100%. It's the biggest pop that I ever had when, when Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's now a Hollywood superstar, appears on TNA TV. Admittedly, it's a pre-recorded thingy because one, it's because of COVID and all that sort of stuff. And second, because it's TNA. But um, it's it's really cool that he managed to induct him. But yeah, this was... Um, what did you think of the finish though? Uh, it is Rock versus Shamrock, the final two. Shamrock wins with the ankle lock. And well, Owen, Simon and I pretty much, when we think of Ken Shamrock, Ankle lock generally follows the sentence afterwards. It was synonymous with him back in the day. It's his stone cold stunner. It pops the crowd so much. But when you saw him lock the rock with the ankle lock, like, what did you think? Oh, I couldn't believe the entire match from entrance to submission, how over Ken Shamrock was. Like, the pop he got when he came out was absolutely enormous and the pop we got from when he when he locked on locked in the submission was even was just even bigger um i was thoroughly impressed with him because i haven't seen much of his early like early early wwf stuff um although i did see ken shamrock wrestle in 2019 in burwood in melbourne and <laughs> met him and he's an incredibly lovely person he's, we talked for he's like a wonderful minutes. human wonderful and human such a he's a great person one of the probably the best i've met in one of the best i've met in the business um but yeah i was just so surprised at how over he was when it came to everything especially in canada 
when pretty much that whole mat that whole show was just about Bret Hart. Mm. Um, but I yeah, I I love this match. This match was really, really awesome. I think it was probably my favorite, like of like take out the main event. I loved this match. It was so cool. The finish was great. I thought it was really awesome. I think the fact that you've also got stars in there, like <laughs> yeah, the, oh, yeah. yeah. The, the nation of domination is basically one unit. Like you can't really say, Oh man, wasn't it great to see karma? Uh, like they're, they're all there as a collective, but the rocks really the spear there. But the fact that you've got the LOD there, Ahmed Johnson is like, he, he's got rid of the nation stank and he's almost back to 96 levels of popularity and Shamrock being a fresh face and actually someone there. It's, it's actually funny. You mentioned how, how surprised you were about how good and popular Shamrock was back in the day, Owen, because in 2020 slash 2021, if you were to say, oh, when TNA first busted onto the scene in 2002, they made Ken Shamrock their first champion, the first NWA champion. It sounds weird, doesn't it? But after you watch this match, you can kind of see like, that's not a bad choice. So now we finally get to the meat and potatoes. Actually, no, this is the main course coming up to the... uh, we, we, we've got through the, you know, the bread for the table, the entrees. Now we sort of get to the second and, and main course here. But first we had an ad for the D-Generation X in your house pay-per-view. Um, oh, and I'll, I'll throw it to you here because what do you think of uh, the presentation of DX here? Because you've seen a lot of WCW, how they presented the NWO. This is, this is WWF yeah. shot back. How did it hold up? Um, I mean, it was in the same black and white tone, <laughs> which is which was my, which was what caught my eye. Um, but yeah, I didn't mind it. I mean, I love the DJ. I love the DX theme song. Um, it's like one of my favorites ever. But it was cool. I think it it, it kind of like it's definitely because you guys said, well, what was it maybe like two or two, maybe two pay-per-views ago they started kind of spreading the sea and like laying down the seas of this of um of this whole um faction mm-hmm. yeah they only officially called themselves dx for the first time in between the last pay-per-view and this one so they're fresh okay yeah when um, you actually think about no, it, it was I'll, a cool I'll... Little... sorry i'm going no, it was just a cool little video package. Um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, all it was was just, you know, announcing what the show was called. Um, and all I could think was Degeneration <laughs> every time I hear that song. <laughs> but um, no, I, I thought it was cool. Um, I don't know how good the pay-per-view is afterwards, but um, I guess you guys will touch on that in a week's time. <laughs> we certainly will. But um, this is something that I just wanted to quickly point out before we move on to our next bit. So this is also this is why we sort of look back on this era with such rose colored glasses, because stuff happened on raw that built up to the story. Like we saw the formation of DX, like it didn't, there is so much that happened between bad blood and survivor series. Like so much story has happened. Whereas now it's just like, there's not much that happens to say WrestleMania and WrestleMania backlash (laughs) in the WWF is there. Unfortunately, that's true. Sometimes you could miss four months of programming and you'll barely miss any story beats. Whereas in this era, if you miss a month, you've missed 10 guys turning, champions not being champions anymore, factions forming. Yeah, it was a different time. Mm. Well, I mean, that's why I, and that's the genuine reason why I started watching the Nitros in between the pay per views that I'm watching with you guys. Because 
so much happens between the pay-per-views that I wanted to be on, on board and on top of everything. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And you really do miss out a lot that a video package does bring up the speed, but it doesn't give you the sort of full story there. But um, speaking of video packages, we get to a great one that sort of sells Ooh, yeah. Austin's comeback. And uh, Austin, with some, uh, the crowd's well behind Austin here. You can sort of tell he's on the rise, but it's very funny because they've sort of let him off the chain a little bit during this promo because there's a lot of there's a lot of beeps. Really focuses on that pole driver, doesn't it, Simon? Yeah, and it always feels a little bit uncomfortable just because, you know, sort of like from interviews how Steve Austin felt about this whole situation. I don't want to say they exploited it because obviously, you know, they went along with it too. But yeah, it really feels like really uncomfortable at times, you know. Mm. What about you, um, Owen? This would be a video package unlike any other you would have seen in the WWE at the time because it seems a little bit more, pardon the pun, raw. No, I really enjoy this this um this video package. I actually see it, it great 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 hype reel. Um, because obviously it plays on what happened between the two. Um, with the pile drive and the neck break and stuff. Yeah, I did find it interesting because um, I guess of the semi story history between those two and mm. what like you know apparently the whole thing. I think you guys may have touched on it, the fact that Owen didn't really like get in contact with Austin after the whole situation and like yeah, stuff never, like that. And I found they, they never made peace. Like uh, if the nearest you had to a um, resolution was um, Austin cheesing the Titan Tron at Roy's own when he passes away. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I found that really interesting, but no, the hype reel got me really pumped for this match. Um, and yeah, I mean, even though, like, you know, I mean, we'll get into it, but even though, like, you know, the match didn't last for all that long, um, I really enjoyed the whole thing. I, I, I'd probably call it, like, the whole thing, like, including, I, I'd call it a whole segment, I guess, because of how, mm. like, what, well, a four and a half, five minute match. Um, the whole segment, including the hype reel, I, yeah, I really liked it. I think it, I think it did justice to the, um, to the storyline as a whole. The WWE production and presentation seem to be a little bit off their game because did you notice, Simon, that the uh, the Austin glass break entrance kind of worked 50%? Yeah, I don't know what's yes. going on with that entrance at this pay-per-view. The floor caught on fire. Austin's glass didn't break, although he did give it a nice shoulder shrug as he walked through <laughs> to crack yeah. part of it, which looked kind of cool still. You know, Austin is the man he can still pull it off just by, you know, shouldering it and walking through. Austin got a pretty big pop for being in Canada still. Last mm. time we saw him there at Canadian Stampede, he was the most hated man. But even now, even now the Canadians can't deny the, uh, you know, the rise of Austin. Yeah. And um, Owen comes out with Team Canada here and there is just a bit of a brawl at the start. A stunner on the anvil. Uh, Jim Neidhart starts the match. You get a break his neck chance, which is rabid when you think about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely crazy there. And as you sort of mentioned, Owen, like considering how, you know, real life Stone Cold felt about the whole injury in the situation, I'm sure he was loving that chance. And it's it's yeah. cool to see him interact with the crowd too. Like, you know, at the very start where he's sort of like prompting to the crowd to like, you know, get in the ring then. Come on, which you probably shouldn't do after seeing Halloween Havoc. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there is there is a lot of um, brawling on the outside here, and I think we've said this 
off camera a, a fair bit to you, Owen, how like, you know, there's two Steve Austins, like the Austin pre-neck injury and the Austin post-neck injury. Can can have you yeah. seen any of his pre-injury matches? Did we did we get you in on any of those pay-per-views? No, but I have watched some just isolated, and I have seen him as stunning Steve Austin, and like, and how much of an absolute ring general he was in with the Hollywood Blondes and stuff. So, like, being quite a Pillman guy, like I've seen his work with Pillman and see how good they were. Um, so it, it is quite a stark contrast, but I think you know. No, I don't think anyone's ever done it better in terms of reinventing themselves and making themselves probably even more over and possibly even better by doing so much less, like quite mm. substantially. Um, I must say, though, um, I think the hero of this match was one line of commentary from JR. Because <laughs> um, obviously at this stage, like at this stage, um, Austin was doing the whole, you know, open up, you know, open up a can of whoop ass or um on his opponent. And then <laughs> um Owen Hart tries to leave that he starts walking oh, down the yes. rampway and JR goes, Owen's opening up a can of whole ass. Yeah. I genuinely <laughs> laughed for like a minute. It absolutely ruined me. <laughs> I made note of that too. That was a great line. I'm surprised they didn't that use that me, more. Man. That was very good. <laughs> that is also one of my it's one of, sorry you go Simon I was just going to say it's a weird match because we see all the brawling around the ring but if you really notice Austin doesn't take a single move or a single bump this doesn't match is bump. yeah this is kind of in limbo he wasn't fully cleared but they had to get the belt on him and they were just thinking he'd be fine eventually even though he literally yeah. just broke his neck they were just buying time so it's an odd match but they pull it off for a five minute segment yeah, it is, it is a, a blink and you miss it. But the fact that, that there's so much story to it makes it last a little bit longer. Um, the, the part that I love is that the whole heelish thing to how Owen Hart, when he's uh, he's pleading to the ref to disqualify him, yeah. like it's so there's some nice little touches there between Owen and Austin. And it's such a shame that these guys never actually sort of, uh, you know, made their peace before Owen's passing. But um, yeah, Austin gets the win. To some cheers, like the the crowd popped for for the finish, considering the fact that he's in Canada, and then for good measure, a stunner on uh, Lafon and Furnace too, just to really emphasise their job as status at Survivor Series, and to to really <laughs> settle it that we're moving on from the Canadians now. Like you know, this is all over. I do want to say one thing for the you know a, a nice little piece of uh, trivia. I think this was the first match on WWE pay per view with the title match graphic that would come up before a match, which they still use now, yeah. had the big thing saying WWE Intercontinental Championship match. A great touch that I think WWE doesn't get enough credit for because they did that and then other promotions would do it, you know, in the years mm. following. Yeah, very, very cool. That is, and it's something that's like a trope now. It's kind of, it's, it's almost overused now to the point where like, you know, they have the big splashy graphics and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, another cool touch too. Do you remember in the old um, WWF games, like uh, the the THQ ones that they put out, they would actually replicate those graphics, which was kind of cool if you had a title match, and they did it pretty well. But um, let's get to the next little segment because this is kind of cool. It is a WWF Attitude teaser promo. Now I completely forgot Simon that Bret Hart was actually like because I always had it in my mind that he was never in. 
the scratch logo era of the WWF. Yeah, that, that's the thing. He was in the first cut of this ad. These ads were iconic. They would run for years with a slightly different edit each time. You would get Mick Foley and China and different people in them. And then eventually some of the legends like Freddie Blassie and Gorilla Monsoon and different scripts. But these were such good ads, sort of showing the new version of the WWE, saying how real it was. And the vibe is right. Like this is what the WWE will look like. It's cool. I'm going to show my age here. I'd never seen these before. This is the greatest ad I've ever seen in my life. This <laughs> was so go. sick. Yeah. Like, this was so... I can't swear on this show. This was so cool. Like, I absolutely, like... I love this. Like, I have four notes about that ad. <laughs> go for yeah. it. We want to hear so, it. They were, they were great, yeah. No, I, I'm just like such an awesome like an awesome idea for a video too and how it like ushered in like the attitude era because it was WWF attitude like and like the way they shot it because like, it was semi-vibrant but semi-sepia as well it had a really weird vibe to it and all like the different like the close-up cuts and the distant pans dude I could do a whole dissertation about these <laughs> like so or like genuinely I think wrestling companies should rip this off and just do something the same with it. See? Because he's so damn good. That's just a one small microcosm of why, unfortunately, you will hear so many people still say things were better in the Attitude Era. It's not for anything overall. It's for when you think of specific things like this. How come no one does stuff like this anymore? You know, mm. they're just these weird things that, for whatever reason, they all happened in this time. What? It's an amazing ad. And it'll stick with you. It's so Such cool. Such a great ad. I'm also going to give you a little bit of a rebuttal there, Owen. Like you can have too much of a good thing in terms of this sort of ad because someone obviously thought, hey, this is getting really good buzz. And basically the entire video game of WWF Warzone takes that complete aesthetic and just <laughs> ramps it up to about 500%. Everything is in a warehouse. Everything's on fire. Everything's like on a giant screen. And it's just like... Okay, I, th I think you're running too much with the warehouse grittiness, more with the <laughs> this is real and raw. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a very, very cool and very iconic. This would be followed up, I think, in 98 by the, the one that really put him over the stratosphere, the, the Super Bowl commercial. Am I got yeah. that one right? That is yeah, 98. Yeah, 98. What a great ad, too. Mm. WWE's production at the time. That's why we always say when we watch the WCW shows, we're like, yeah, it's okay, but clearly not yeah. wwf level yeah exactly <laughs> um we then get the same video package that we had in the intro uh, to lead up to the main event Shawn michaels versus bret hart we've spoken ad nauseum about that one we do get this cool thing that once again as you mentioned simon they never do again the the entrance from the dressing room to the arena of Shawn michaels now yep. we'll, we'll turn to you on what did you think of this one so cool like so <laughs> awesome like Everybody needs to do this for a match, even if it's for just like a blo like a blow off match for a massive feud. Like, I mean, for instance, I mean, we're come like in real time. We're coming up to it this weekend, like the whole Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega thing. They could do something like this for that match because there's been such a massive building storyline to it for the past two and a half years. Something like like this entrance because you follow they went through like half the the stadium. Mm. And like with Brett's one, like he had, he had like, you know, had the heart foundation. Was that one of his sons? 
Yeah, he's son. I think Blade. it's his son Jet. Is it Jet or Jet Blade? Blade. <laughs> he's given all his kids cool names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing, you know, like they, they, and they, and like with Michael's, he had China and 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 Hunter with him, like and such Rick a too. really Rick and Rick there, Rick, my apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like such an awesome, like such an awesome like thing and I, yeah i think people need to start doing this more hmm. like i know i know i know mikey j did a, like a little bit with mcw when he was doing video stuff there a couple of years back and it looks so good and people need to do it more i pop so much for it. i wrote again i wrote i wrote four lines of notes about it because it was awesome um but yeah super cool and great again- way to kick off this and for for me, it took away that really weird vibe of the match for now, because I was so zeroed in on how awesome that was. Because I'd never seen again, like I'd only ever seen the match from Bell to Bell. I'd never seen the lead up to it, mm. so I didn't really, I didn't see how cool this was. And because I was so zeroed in, I forgot how. Because as I said at the start of the show, this whole pay per view for me had a really weird vibe to it. It just had this real like overlay, just this real weird looming vibe of what was about to happen. But for those like four minutes, I was completely taken away from that because of how much I loved that. Mm. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a really cool thing. And and you're right. It did make it feel like, okay, forget all the shenanigans and backstage stuff. This is a great presentation of, you know, what was at the time the biggest match in the promotion. And on, and on that HBK entrance, you know, where they're walking, if you listen closely, there's like a heartbeat thumping that they would use when they would do this over the next couple of years triple h did bring this back for some nxt takeovers obviously he thought it was cool and worth bringing back but it never made it back to the main roster so again Mm. these are these weird things that we say hey why don't you do it like the attitude era because these are great touches do this again it worked yeah it's such a stellar little thing and it really you want to like we talk about big big fight feel big fight feel and all this sort of stuff this definitely made it feel like a big fight and then let's get to sean actually making his entrance here as you can tell he's in full d-head mode um (laughs) there there is a sign front and center that is just hbk and slang for uh, a cigarette um Mm. front and center there uh which just goes to show like it's interesting that they blur out some things but leave other stuff in um yeah he the heat that he gets is nuclear wouldn't you say Lowen? well yeah my first note when i like post me marking out over how good the backstage stuff is was he gets beer dumped on him someone dumped a tray of beer all over him like just from the crowd and then like just nuclear heat and he just smirks through it this is why 97 Shawn michaels is kind of its own thing because just the biggest douchebag in the world Mm. who is also the best wrestler (laughs) in the world the amount of things he does just in this entrance they throw things at him he takes someone's flag he wipes his butt with it then he blows his nose with it Then he humps it. Then he puts it down his pants. Like, just turning his entrance into <laughs> its own thing. Like, yeah. just not being scared of being booed. Like, Shawn Michaels at the time was just a maniac. If that flag had a wife, he'd somehow managed to bed that wife. <laughs> like, that's how much of a douche he was being <laughs> on this entrance. But let's get to this big fight entrance that Brett got as well. And um, 
Brett also like is it just me? And maybe it is because you know we know obviously know what happens. It did feel like you know old yellow going out to be put down, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> We, we didn't know at the time. I was trying really hard to not think of the screw job or real life and just try and watch this as a match. It's there, hard to, isn't it? Sad. There's still a feeling of like, well, oh, Brett, you don't know what you're in for. Well, see, <laughs> that's actually really funny you say that because that's that's one of my notes. I've written, even if you take out the finish, this match has such a different vibe. Yeah. It's real violent it's just, and just, raw. It doesn't feel like a normal wrestling match. It's weird. Well, one of my notes is they're they're assaulting each other. Yeah. Like when we get like they are absolutely assaulting each other. The fans are rabid too when they brawl in the crowd. It's amazing that Shawn Michaels did not get like I don't know glassed or <laughs> had more beer tipped. It's they they wanted his blood. Yeah. There were a couple of fans that tried to swing punches at him. Talk about fearless, though. The decision to say, all right, when we get to the ring, we're going to brawl and we're going to go into the crowd twice. We're going to go on either side of the ring. Like this match is pushing it as far as you can go in terms of the heat at the time. Here's the thing, though, and this is, I think, uh, like, you know, we'll go inside. I guess the, th- like the three of us being semi-insiders. I don't think they went I, I there was no planning this match i don't think they I, I think this was all done on the fly i don't think uh, they put this together no no there there was some th- this Did is they put it the, together it's probably the most put together match because brett doesn't want a job to sean um and they had to come to a compromise to actually have that match you know actually happen because brett was adamant okay. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do this I'm absolutely not going to do this. Like I'm assuming too, Simon, this could be my, you know, near 40 year old mind clogging up, but (laughs) they were were in Vince's office pretty much up and like the entire time trying to kind of finish. In fact, so much so in, in wrestling with shadows, the Bret Hart documentary about this, Brett's wearing a wire in that meeting and you could hear the booking meeting and how they're setting it out. Yeah, one of the most iconic scenes in that film where Brett still has his movie mic on. He's going to go into the booking meeting on that day and he basically tells the filmmaker, hey, I'm mic'd up. Why don't I know? just keep this on? And they get the audio from the meeting where Vince assures him, yeah, there'll be a schmoz at the end. You know, you'll be in the sharpshooter, but then all these guys will run out, DX and, and the Hart Foundation, and we'll just end it in a DQ and we'll do something with the belt the next night. And that is all yeah. on tape and it is... Yeah, just a, one of the weirdest situations ever. But as a so match, look, let's hmm. think about it as a match. Yep. The match, it's really good. And it's also the ahead of its match time. Is, the match is incredible. Yeah, because we would see matches like this later where it's a brawl around the ring and it feels real. Then it eventually gets to the ring and escalates. So it goes from a brawl to a fight. Then they're doing their big moves and trying finishes. It's a really good match. And I think obviously it gets overlooked because of the ending. <laughs> But but there's even little things that added to this match that make it different. Like you have that many refs at the start around the ring. Vince yeah. being out there barking orders left, right, and center. JR he, even on commentary says this could be Bret Bret Hart's last match in the WWF. Here's one thing I want to ask you guys um, because because Vince came out and was pretty much there for the entire match ringside. Was it known by now that Vince was in charge? Like, was, like, like, 
like in terms of like I guess Matt, I guess you know public like I say public but on like TV. So like, because obviously the last pay per view was was he on Bad Blood? Was he yeah. commentate Bad Blood? So and between he was still Bad Blood and this, he's gone from commentator to owner. Vince McMahon. Mm. And so, it's, and it's public. It's public too because during the Austin match, uh, King makes numerous mentions that you know, like McMahon's gonna might be sued if this, and he is referred to as the owner on screen as okay. well. Okay. Um, cool. but, but like I said, this is why you kind of had to be there during the roars because a lot happens in in that four weeks leading up to it. And like uh, uh, as you, yeah, Vince is acknowledged as the owner of the WWF is one of the notes that I've got in. Um, before that, because the bit where he tells him to get into the ring on commentary, they're like, even the owner of the Vince McMahon, owner of the WWF, telling him to get this match started. Mm. Yeah, they're only recently leaning into it. Um, Vince McMahon acknowledged he was the owner when he had to tell Steve Austin, give up the Intercontinental title because of his broken neck. So this is all recently. This is all in the okay. past, you know, one or two months, which again makes it really weird because how convenient that he's now the owner on TV. And Brett's accused him of screwing him for almost a year now. And now he gets screwed, quote unquote, for real on this pay-per-view. I don't know. Scott Hall and his conspiracy theory that this was all a work. Sometimes yeah. I think maybe he's onto something. There, there's <laughs> too many coincidences, but yeah, it's weird. But again, I'm trying to look at it just as a match. And it was very good. So let's let's briefly talk about the match too, because we'll, we'll do a deep dive after um, when we get to it. Because I want to I put this out to you and... Maybe it's me thinking it this way, but Sean is very much the little guy in this match because Brett is doing some Ooh. power moves that I have not seen him use. Brett's always been the small guy in a match, but mm. in this one, he's definitely taking like the King Kong Bundy role and, um, and HBK is like, and HBK, we've seen when HBK doesn't want to sell. SummerSlam 2005 is a great advertisement for a match that Shawn Michaels doesn't want to do. That's when he wants this to match, sell too much, though, that one. Yeah, yeah, but this one, he's making Brett look really good. Yeah. Um, I One of my notes here is the figure four that Brett does around the ring post is just the grossest thing ever. So like it always makes me, it always makes me queasy. And I'm like, especially if, like with how Sean was selling it. I'm like, oh man, like it just like the way they, they, they film it as well. And like when Brett really like rips and talks mm. into it, it's just really, really gross. But like the whole match itself as a whole was quite intense. Like obviously Brett and Sean, there was their own intensity there on its own, but you got the crowd, which is being super intense. Everybody ringside with like, you know, with Triple H and um, Pat Patterson and, and, and Vince Briscoe. and Pat Patterson. Pat Patterson there, Briscoe, but also um, the police were in the crowd pushing fans back from the from the barrier from the barrier. Did you see that? I think there was one moment too where Shawn Michaels points out a fan, and the cops grab him as well. The whole yeah. scenario is just weird for There's wrestling. So man. much going on, but as you said, like yeah, Brett plays the big man in this one. Like he's hitting some power moves you you've haven't seen him hit probably since like like. 83 stampede well, you yeah. know like really really like when he was like the king of stampede um let's get to let's get to the ending segments because we've all seen it but we all know what happened so um there is a ref bump 
And then Sean... Which Hebner sells like an absolute lord, by the way. He did a mm. handstand. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Owen, so this is where we'll get into the inside baseball sort of thing. So the ref bump right. is planned. Brett knows about the ref bump. What Brett okay. doesn't know is that when he's putting the sharpshooter, he's meant to power out of the sharpshooter and a schmoz finish is meant to happen. Like Bulldog, Owen, the Heart Foundation is meant to come out and the DX is meant to come out. It's meant to end in a schmoz. So he's like, cool, I'll be putting the sharpshooter. That's all good. I trust Earl. Earl's a good friend of mine. He's sworn on my kids that he, he sworn on his kids that he's not going to do anything here. Did you notice how quickly, and we've seen a lot of ref bumps in our time. Is that not the quickest revival of ref has had before he then calls for the bell and then gets the hell out of there? And I've seen a lot of ref bombs that oh heaven has hit in the past. And that man sounds like he's been shot by about 11,000 bullets. Hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, but like he's, the man kipping, sounds he's like kipping, an absolute king. But he's the minute like Brett gets put in the sharpshooter, he kips up like the rocket WrestleMania 19. <laughs> Oh, Earl Hebner invented CrossFit that night. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we get that absolute chaotic ending. Um, everyone's looking confused. Did you see? Is it just me, or maybe it's maybe it's like my mind playing tricks? But did it? Is it? <laughs> did Bret Hart have the expression of like? Should have seen this one coming. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Where he's like, "I knew it. I knew this was going to happen." He's not only angry; he's annoyed that he's like, "Ah, oh, should have known." Sean Michael did- sells it like he's more devastated, though. Yeah. Watching it back, you think, "Is he overacting?" But at the time, he made it look like it was real, and he was angry because, "Oh, I didn't want to tan like this." Did you see? Like, did you see? And I, I, I rewound like five times to make sure, like I, like I was kind of right. Did like when when the bell was called, did you see the crowd all rise as one and look at Brett's hand? Like no. they all rose as one. Yeah. So like I went back and watched this so many times to make sure the crowd all got up at once and looked at looked straight at Brett to see if he was tapping. And that's when they went absolutely like batshit insane. Mm. Cause there was like a, there was like a little bit of like a pause there for like the crowd to make sure like he wasn't tapping. And then that's when everything, like that's when the crowd went absolutely like rabid and wild. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It is. It's crazy. And this is where it turns. I've written down in my notes. It's a WCW end to the pay-per-view because it's just chaotic. No one knows what's going on. Sean just grabs the belt and, if we go more inside baseball as well, you know, at the end where he sort of puts the belt up and like, yeah, cause it's just like, we need to have a shot of you. Like, like with the belt, like that's how far he's almost at the entrance. He's almost at the back before he sort of realizes, just put the belt up. Like, you know, you've won, you're the champion. We need the champion to celebrate. Like it's so WCW chaotic finish that it's crazy, but yeah, it is. It's a remarkable pay for you. So let's, let's do a bit of a deep dive here in the last couple of minutes that we've got, um thoughts we'll start off with you simon like what, what do you say after this like because it's just such a surreal feeling isn't it yeah i was trying to watch this just as a fan this time and not think too much about the screw job because again it's been discussed to death in documentaries and books and podcasts and blah 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 books, yeah yeah as a show leading up to one giant main event you almost couldn't have done it better obviously screw job notwithstanding but in terms of 
hyping up one match in one guy's sort of home country and these two hate each other. I thought it was excellent from that standpoint. And the main event, watching it in full and not just those last 30 seconds, it still holds up as a match. Um, but again, in terms of the screw job, the one thing I want to say is we were talking about this before we started recording. I remembered seeing the, the aftermath on the pay-per-view, but I guess I was wrong. And that that was only, you know, on Raw's afterwards when they would say shocking footage of what Bret Hart did, you know, when cameras stopped rolling. But I'm very sure, like, I also remember that too. And it's also because maybe because we Wrestling With Shadows came out at the same time. Like, it, the, the conspiracy theory that Scott Hall is one of the big proponents of that this is all a work has a lot of water to it because, like, Brett's filming a documentary that's showing his side of the story, coincidentally. Vince has given, he, like, he, this is the momentum that he needs to go to WCW and make him the hottest free agent in wrestling at the moment, which WCW absolutely squander. But there's little things like, like on, I'm pretty sure on the pay-per-view broadcast, he does the WCW. Like, because that footage is WWE footage. Yeah, like, it all is. It all is. Even their footage of him wrecking the cameras and the, and, cameras. You know, the monitors. That I'm sure. I'm the show that, I, that, 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 that was that afterwards. Was that like after it went off air? Well, that's what we're trying to. That's what we're trying to think. It like, was on the, the broadcast that I watched on the network because I've seen that footage too. Yeah. Mm. I, I guess they don't put it on the, the network version. They just have strictly what was on the pay-per-view. Yeah, but it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool little thing to sort of it's just it's it's definitely the thing that changes the course of the Monday Night Wars. I'll put it that way. But yeah. um, let's let's run through the MVPs because um, this one's going to be a tough one. Owen, who do you reckon? Um, and just quickly, I actually do want to thank you guys for having me on this. Like, it's my usual WCW uh, cameo because like it actually has like you know it's such a storage show as well. Um, and everybody knows obviously what's happened and we've just spent you know only 15 minutes talking about three minutes for pay-per-view um but i mm, it's hard to go i mean it's actually for me it's actually kind of difficult because no one really kind of stood out because of the whole overlying thing but i'm gonna say my mvp for this show is mankind Mm. Because he made Kane look like a million dollars. The way he sold everything for Kane was amazing, and his little like his his little his little fight back was brilliant too. Like when he got his own shine, it was really really cool. But he made Kane look so damn good. The way he sold everything. So yeah, my MVP is mankind. Yeah, and you know you're absolutely spot on there, Owen. It is a very hard pay view to try and because there is because everyone sort of like pulls their weight here even the crappy survivor series matches at the start still like build towards the crescendo towards the end but what about you Simon? what do you reckon yeah i don't know this was a really hard one again i'm trying to think while owen was talking there who i would uh say is the single mvp the standout but i suppose if we're saying mvp the most valuable player i'm gonna give it to vince mcmahon for his little <laughs> stage where he says oh, i don't know who's gonna win and then for having the guts to go through with the screw job, because for better or worse, he thought he was right. And he thought, I've got to get the belt off this guy. And it changed the course of wrestling. It helped him, made him a bigger oh. star. 
It should have made Brett a bigger star because it made him the sympathetic guy who got screwed by the other company. And we've seen how well that works for other people. Um, and yeah, he set up Shawn Michaels to be his scumbag world champion too. I'll mm. give it to Vince. And the other thing too, if he did it right, he also had the opportunity to make Owen Hart a real superstar. Yeah, like with Owen being want... the one Hart who stuck around, it didn't work the way it should have. Owen has a good run though for his last couple of years, but yeah, not not what it could have been. Yeah. Um, when you guys were just talking to like, it was very hard to sort of rack and think like, who is someone that like, because you can't limit it to one and you pretty much picked a one Owen, you picked a really great job there in terms of going with mankind, because from an in-ring perspective, that's the match that made Kane. If Kane had an absolute fizzer in his yeah. first ever match on pay-per-view, he's dead in the water. Like the yep. Undertaker's magic brother is just like nothing. If it wasn't for Mick just Foley. Some schmuck. Mm. Yeah. If he took on like rockabilly, that's a, he ain't going to get like a great sort of, career that he's had if he's taken on billy gunn in his first match yeah and going on what you said too um simon like yes vince mcmahon definitely you, there's warrants for that which is why i'm also going to take it into another sort of realm i'm going to give it to the commentary like jr and king like you can't fault them in this entire thing like they yeah. they, they do such a phenomenal job together and we talk about like you know how much how much better the attitude era was JR and King were the perfect, like they were, look, my my favorite is always going to be Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. You can, that's the pinnacle of commentary in my opinion, but this is yeah. a very close second. Yeah, that makes sense. And this was such a serious show that both guys kept it serious too, and it was better for it. They brought the yeah gravity and importance to every match, regardless of how terrible yeah. it was. Mm. Now, here's one for you guys. Um, was Brett on Nitro the next night or was there a little bit of a layover? A few weeks, I think. So now here's, here's the fun part about this one. So um, there is, there's a mass, would you say there's a mass exodus? There's a certain, there's a, there is an exodus of talent after Brett leaves. Mm. Uh, people like Crush and obviously the Heart Foundation bar Owen leave. Rick uh, I think, yeah, Rick Now here's, the, we'll get to the Rick Rude bit because this is what's cool. So, what Raw used to do is there was a live a live Raw and then a taped Raw. So on the next night, so the 10th of um, November, Raw is live and a little Bret Hart midget comes out. Uh, so HBK and DX really mock Bret, all that sort of stuff. And yep. then Rick Root is part of DX at that point in time. So then they've taped the next week's Raw. Now, Rick Rude doesn't have a contract. Rick Rude is literally going deal, like pay by appearance. And he is quite unsavory about the whole screw job. So he then jumps to Nitro. So in two weeks time, uh, you see Rick Rude clean shaven because he's got a beard in um, in the WWE. DX. Yeah, in, in DX on Nitro, completely burying the WWF and talking about how, how they did Brett wrong. Mm. So it's a, real, it's a really weird sort of like a follow-up to the entire thing. It's yeah. a weird moment. And Rick Rude must have thought he was so clever, like, ha-ha, I'll ruin their continuity. I'll be clean-shaven and I'll have a beard on Raw. And he must have thought, I've picked the winning team. WWE is going to go in the toilet here for screwing Brad. But it is weird that, yeah, he really, really went to the losing be side there. Because Brett was... 
Brett was on Starcade, wasn't he? Yep. Yes. Spoiler alert. Guest he ref? doesn't wrestle. He's a guest ref. <laughs> yeah. Because he, quote unquote, I know what it's like to be screwed. Wow, what an absolute mess of a main event that is. I can't wait to talk about it. The, the <laughs> fact that Paul Brett at the end of 97 is involved with two of the biggest shit show main events ever, <laughs> arguably <laughs> ever, for each company, I can't wait. Because, yeah, the, the ballad of Bret Hart in two parts of 97, it's not good. <laughs> it, it, yeah, Canadian Stampede really is the high point, and it's all downhill before <laughs> Bret there, which is such and, a shame. It, one thing that I will mention, though, is like that does make things a little bit easier is at least Bret now, he's, he's at a good place because for years afterwards, this thing scarred that poor bloke. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now obviously, like my my... <laughs> My wrestling timeline's all over the place because I mentioned this we mentioned all the time. I'm prob- I'm just coming out of nappies at this stage and graduating to, to pull ups. <laughs> like in my real life, in real in real timeline. Now, was this pre or post Brett losing his smile? No, that's Shawn Michaels who lost his smile. Oh no, no, that, that's who I meant. That's who I meant. I'm an idiot. Oh, sorry, I'm an idiot. sorry. Post, post. This, this was it. So this was post Sean losing his smile. So yeah. So the original plan is. So- and then when does his back and his back goes out in ninety eight? Yeah, ninety eight so at the Royal in, Rumble in two months. Mm. In two months, and that's when he drops the belt at WrestleMania. So yeah, he lives through the next couple of so, pay per views so, after getting injured. Okay. So just to give you an idea of like when Simon talks about the Ballad of Bret Hart, it really is like a Greek, uh, like a Greek tragedy because so <laughs> Bret agrees to drop the belt at WrestleMania 12 to Sean uh, and give Sean his first win, uh, his first ever world title. The boyhood dream has become a reality. Sean's meant to, yeah. if we go, if we go by um, you know folklore, Sean's meant to then return the favor and drop the belt to Bret at WrestleMania 13. Sean loses his smile before WrestleMania 13 and the belt thing goes towards The Undertaker. Sean takes some time off. So because of that, Brett needs an opponent at WrestleMania 13. And that opponent is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's the double turn match, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So if Sean doesn't lose his smile, Austin doesn't become a megastar. And Brett potentially stays (laughs) face and never turns heel either. It's all meaning weird. we meaning we don't get Survivor Series 1997 and Bret Hart probably stays through the WWF until 1998, 99. There's just so much, too much butterfly effect that could happen due to and, the, the, uh, and a, a big maybe happens, but I'm not going to mention it because I think it just might not upset people. But I mean, mm. you could, there's always that big thing of Owen Hart, you know. Yeah, there's there's so much that could there's so th- many things. Too many could haves could have happened, and you know it's it's uh, like Austin's like what, the original timeline. You know, if we if we're going to like parallel universes, what would that look like? It's it's crazy. Maybe WCW is still in existence. We don't know. Like, there's so many things that could have offshooted there, but um, uh, and <laughs> yeah, it's 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 weird to think out when you think about that, but yeah. Very, very cool stuff, though. Like, it, you can see why 97 is, like, the really good year, unfortunately. And in, in, a, in a weird bit of perverse justice, um, Shawn Michaels doesn't wrestle for four years after 98. Yeah, it, it's really weird how both of their careers sort of, you know, 
that sliding doors moment, like you said, in 96, where their careers finally intersects in, in a huge way as main eventers. They can never sort it out for a year. And then when Shawn Michaels finally thinks, well, I've gotten rid of Brett, my time to shine. No, you're retired for four years while the company takes off like never before. In a weird way, would the company have taken off if both guys were still there? We don't know. They could have hindered things because Mm. Austin had a clear run. There were no other main eventers except him, you know? Yeah. And, And to Sean's credit, I think he did see the writing on the wall because uh, WrestleMania 14 is one of the great modern-day WrestleManias. It Actually, no, it's an awful WrestleMania, but that main event is the one that sort of really, like, his, Austin's coronation is one of the biggest Ooh. moments of just Monsters. wrestling full stop. I'm going to challenge Monsters. you on that when we get to it. If you haven't watched that pay-per-view for a while, it's a s- sleeper WrestleMania. It's actually really? better than you'd think. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ch- oh, well, chat. <laughs> just wait, just wait. But but yes, we could talk about this for hours. But uh, look, we probably should put a bow on it because uh, there's, like I said, if we tr- go and unpack the what if, what ifs, and what could have happened, you know, would Bret Hart have had his career ended in 1999 by an errant kick from Goldberg if he was still in the WWF? Of course not. Like this, see what I mean? Like there's so much stuff. Would the streak have even happened in WCW if this happened? Like there is so much that uh, could and could not have happened in both companies. So it's kind of cool to think about, but uh, I want, thank you so much for jumping on board for a WWF pay-per-view. We will see you again next month though, because you're going to join us for world war three, the WCW pay-per-view, which is going to be a bit of fun. Don't remind me, <laughs> but um, no, thanks. As I said before, thanks guys for having me on for this one. I genuinely enjoyed it and, you know, going a bit boffany just then and kind of like, splitting open the pea and letting and see what we what we could find but um no i really enjoyed this one i um so much i mean i'll probably stick to my wcw because i've had way i've had way too much fun watching those with you guys so i'll stick with those but um i might just jump along and watch wwf when you guys uh comment on on the listen to on the, on the podcast <laughs> I'll tell you what, Simon, I don't think we're going to do this much of a deep dive when we get to D-Generation X in your house. No, I I honestly can't (laughs) remember a lot from this pay-per-view. I think it might be a fun, (laughs) weird one. I will say, though, talk about a sliding doors moment and, you know, serendipity. So we've seen the final Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels match. Those two guys, you know, symbolize the new era of WWE and the the mid-90s. D-Generation in your house, D-Generation X in your house, is the first ever pay-per-view match between The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if I recall, is that also the main event is Ken Shamrock versus Shawn Michaels? Yeah, which I'm looking forward to watching again. <laughs> it could be good. It could be quite a sleeper, but yeah, yeah, it is funny when you think about it. Like 97, you've got Rock versus Austin. You've also got Triple H versus The Rock uh, in a ladder match like... You can we we get to see the rise of the rock in the next couple of uh, in the next year. So that well, match rules. I love that a, match. In a year's time, the rock is the world champion. Like, <laughs> yes. isn't that weird? He's the world champion and the most famous wrestler in the world. Takes him one more year. So we're almost yeah. there. 
<laughs> absolutely crazy but uh, yeah oh like i said thanks for joining us here on reliving the war if you want to catch up on any of the old episodes head to greywolfentertainment.net and follow us on the socials greywolfent is the best place so you can keep up to date with everything that we do we'll be back same time uh well, well i don't know about same time but we'll be back at some point in time with world war three wcw it'll be an interesting pay-per-view three rings 60 men, one survivor. It sounds like chaos and spoiler alert, it is. But uh, we'll catch you next time for another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.